preaching occasionally makes it difficult to really know what to select. There are so many lessons that are of profit, so many things we could study until I really have a problem in trying to decide what could I discuss that could be needful and helpful to all of us. I may not have been successful, but I gave a great deal of consideration to the question of what I felt uh, would be beneficial to those of us who are here today. When you see the news that's in the paper, on the TV, just about all of it is bad news. It seems as when the governments of the world think they have one problem solved, one breaks out in another place. To those of us that are Christians, we ought not to be surprised at that. But sometimes things like these can weigh on our minds. And even aside from that, we have our problems and our cares and our heartaches and our burdens. One of the songs that we uh, used this morning, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. One of the things that I find is I, people talk to me about various things is the difficulty that they have not in knowing what the Bible teaches, but in being able to apply it in specific situations. And so this morning I'm going to try as best I can to talk about something that I hope will help us as we find in living the Christian life and facing the tremendous wickedness that's in the world, its power and its influence, the call and the appeal of the world, how that we can find uh, something that can strengthen us and help us as we try to live and serve the Lord. The book of Isaiah was written at a time that Israel was facing captivity. And in Isaiah, you have an unusual thing in a prophetic book. Beginning in chapter 36, or rather, uh, 30, uh, chapter 36 through 39, we have a historical account in this uh, prophetic book. No doubt one of the reasons that Isaiah included this historical account in this prophetical book, and chapter 39 ends the first section of the book, was that he knew that uh, Judah was going into captivity. Assyria was already overrun, according to First uh, Kings chapter 18. So Isaiah knew that Judah was going into Babylonian captivity. And in thinking about those captives that would be in Babylon, perhaps among other things, this historical account of Hezekiah is given for their encouragement 
And I want to take a portion of that this morning and for us to think about it in relationship to some things I hope can be beneficial to us. Did you remember that Assyria had already overrun uh, the northern kingdom, had captured Israel? They had overrun some cities in Judah. And they were, had announced that they were knocking on the door of Jerusalem. They had sent messengers to Hezekiah. The messengers had made light of the fact that they believed in God. They laughed at the fact that Hezekiah had uh, trusted God and mentioned the fact if you're going to trust God, what do you think he can do for you? They thought of God as they did pagan idols. And he mentioned some of the places that they had already overrun and said, what do you think these gods did for these people? And so Hezekiah is faced with a challenge. He had already been pressured into paying tribute, which was wrong. He made a mistake. But as usual, compromise doesn't help. Having made that mistake, he is now confronted with them coming into Jerusalem and overthrowing Jerusalem. So uh, the king of Assyria sends a messenger and encourages Hezekiah just to throw in the towel and quit. And some of the people uh, that served Hezekiah, when the messenger from Sennacherib came, and they said, please don't speak in Hebrew so these people can hear what you're saying. They're already discouraged. Talk in the Assyrian language so they won't understand what you're saying. But he didn't pay any attention to that. And some of the servants of Hezekiah was saying we might as well give up. On the other hand was Isaiah who was encouraging Hezekiah. And so in chapter 37, we have the account of where all of this has taken place. And in verse 14 of chapter 37, we read that Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words which Sennacherib, which hath sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and all their countries. You see, uh, Hezekiah recognizes what they've done. They, and have cast their gods upon the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands. As they overran these countries, they took the idols, threw them in the fire, and burned them up. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know 
that thou art the Lord, even thou only. This is an unusual, vivid picture. Here is Hezekiah drawn between what the eye can see, the reality of what he knows of the power of the king of Assyria. He has watched as they've already demonstrated their power and demanded tribute. He even took some of the gold off the doors of the temple and gave that to him. That didn't satisfy now then, the king is sending him a letter and saying, Give up. We want Jerusalem. We're going to have it one way or another. If you don't just give up, then we're going to take it anyway. On the other side was Isaiah, who was encouraging Hezekiah to believe in God. Now, Try to place yourself in Hezekiah's position. Look at what you can see. The eye and the knowledge of facts up to this point are contrary to there being any possibility of Hezekiah being able to withstand. He's already seen the northern kingdom fall. Ten tribes. He's seen other nations fall. Assyria is on a move. Just like Iraq ran into Kuwait and just there was no resistance at all. And so that's what the king of Assyria had been doing. And these were all facts and he acknowledged it. said, Lord, this is a fact. I know this. How do you deal with a situation when all the facts that you see are contrary to believing that with God's help the course can be reversed? The tide changed. And victory assured. That's not an easy thing to do, is it? How many times in life do we find ourselves over here is a situation and we look at it as we are burdened or facing a crisis? The world is saying this is the way to go. Take it in your own hands and forget about God and deal with it in this way. And on the other side is the instruction that God has given for his people. How that we are to believe in him, trust in him, and let him enable us to be successful. And to be able to handle the situation. And that's where Christianity is really tested. You know, it's one thing to talk about faith. And it's another thing to put it into practice. 
It's not difficult for us to know that God's made promises in His Word. But then when you get down to the place of where I find a situation in life that I need to believe what God says. But it just looks like if I do that, I don't see any way in the world how it can be taken care of. Can I really rely upon God? I think Hezekiah teaches us a lesson about this. Look at it. He goes to the temple. There's God's presence. Here's the letter. He lays the letter down. Reads the letter to the Lord. But note some of the things that is said. Verse 15 says, And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, Now look at the names that he used in referring to God. And this is a lesson we need to learn. Out here is the king of Assyria. Jerusalem is weak. They don't have much of an army, if any of an army. Even his own servants are afraid. His own servants are saying, there's no way we can win. Let's quit. Let's let him have it. Look at Hezekiah's prayer. O Lord of hosts. You know what the word host means? That's a reference to the armies of God. And so <clears throat> when Hezekiah saw Sennacherib with all of his men, he spread that letter out. The first words of his prayer were, O Lord of hope, if by faith which sees the unseen he could see the armies of heaven how do you think Sennacherib's army looked ah that changed the way that army looked what was that army in comparison with the army of God Not only that, God of Israel. That denotes relationship. There is a special relationship between God and Israel. Which means that God has made a covenant with and committed himself to and has made promises to Israel. And to know that there is a relationship and a fellowship with God. Not some pagan idol that can be burned in a fire, but a God that is supreme. Note what else he said. That dwelleth between the cherubims. Remember, he's in the temple. 
back of the tent in the most holy place was the ark of the covenant. In that was the law. Above that was the mercy seat. On each side were the cherubims facing one another. A symbol on the one side of God's law in that covenant or in that ark, the Ten Commandments. But above that, the cover, the mercy seat. You see, Hezekiah had made a mistake when he compromised and paid tribute. It is wrong for God's people, the God of Israel, to pay tribute to a wicked, idolatrous king. But when Hezekiah said, He that dwelleth between the cherubims, there was the mercy seat. And in spite of his failure, he now realized the wrong. He's ready now to turn aside from that, penitent of it, on his knees in the temple, in the very presence of God. You remember when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden? There were the cherubims placed there to guard the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. And so there's a reminder of God's presence in the temple. But then not only that, he says, Thou art God. Even thou, Lord. Out here they have pagan gods. Gods made with their own hands. Gods that can be burned in the fire. But thou art God alone. You're the only true and living God. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Now you stop and think about the significance of those words. Facing a real critical time. His enemies ready to overrun and destroy. Helpless. No one to stand with him against. And then Hezekiah uses all these words. In reference to God. Look what a faith building thing that is. When we find ourselves struggling. Not knowing which way to turn. Like Hezekiah. Seeming that the enemies are beyond anything that we can handle. No way that we are have the strength to deal with it. And then we turn to pray. What are the words that we use in referring to God in a time like that? Just search your own mind. When praying and facing difficulties, 
and sending a prayer to the throne of grace. Do I or you use names of God that strengthen and build faith? Listen, our Father, that is used this morning, that denotes relationship. I'm his child. He's my Father. And that very word means that God cares. The fact that I belong to him, that he's my God, but he's not only my God, he's my Father. And that ought to strengthen our faith. Do you ever say the all-wise God? To remind us that God never makes a mistake. That his wisdom is above the world. It surpasses our understanding. He doesn't make decisions that are wrong. He doesn't ask us to do something that's not right. And using the very term, the all-wise God, reminds me that his wisdom is best. And this is what he tells me to do. And that's what I'm going to do. Because I know Oh, I know, as I look at it from the standpoint of sight, it doesn't look like it'll work. Out here, all the odds, as far as the eye can see, that are against it. But when I use the word, the phrase, the all-wise God, I know, let the world believe whatever it wants to. And all that I see, cannot change the fact that I believe that he's all wise and that I can follow him. And then there's the word almighty. The almighty God. Sometimes called the mighty God. Just think about what that word will do to build faith. Is he rid of the mighty God? Yes, so he can do what he promises. I might make a promise and might not have the ability to fulfill it. But when I do like Hezekiah and I select words in reference to God, that tend to build faith, to strengthen faith. I, like Hezekiah, then can find the answer that I need. You know also how the Hezekiah realized he didn't have anyone else to turn to. That was his only source of help. That was his only source of hope. And you know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations like that in life. 
there's just nobody else to turn to. That we are dependent upon Him. And what do we think about things? Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. The God, the faithful God, the God that keeps His covenant unto them that love Him. And remember, that that verse says that when God makes a covenant with his people, that he is the faithful God, and he'll do what he has promised. It doesn't matter what I see out here. It doesn't matter how dreary it looks. It does not matter how difficult it may be as far as the odds are concerned. When I am conscious that I am dependent upon him alone, then I, I should remember what Moses said to Israel. One generation had failed because they didn't believe in him. Out ahead of them was Canaan. And Moses said, God, the faithful God that keepeth covenant to them that love him. And that's what Hezekiah did. He knew that he was God, the faithful God, that keeps his covenant. There are some psalms that fit in with what I'm talking about this morning. And I'd like to take the time just to read briefly a portion of one or two of the psalms. Listen to Psalms 38. Here you have David pouring out his heart to God. Remember that Ezekiah read the letter to God. And he said, God, you already know these things. But he still repeated them. And so when our hearts are heavy and our burdens are heavy, it does us good to recount unto the Lord what he already knows. Hezekiah did. He said, I know that you know these things. But he's reading them over again and repeating them. And the very uh, saying of what's on our heart and laying it out before him does good to the soul. Just to put it in words and say, Lord, here it is. Here's the problem. Here's how I'm struggling. Here's what it's all about. Even the very pouring out of the heart to God helps to relieve the soul. And that's what Hezekiah did. And when you read the Psalms, you'll see that in the Psalms, that's what any number of them did. Listen to just a few verses from uh, Psalms uh, uh, 38. In uh, verse 8, David said, I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by the reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. 
You see how it's saying, Lord, here's what's taking place. But you know it. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And yet at the same time, here he is telling God. Jesus said that our Father knows what we need before we ask him. But he said, don't let, don't let that keep you from asking. And that's, here is an illustration of that. And then he describes his condition. He said in verse 10, My heart painteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it's also gone from me. He felt his own weaknesses and his own failure. Dark was surrounding him. And then verse 21, he said, Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Over in the next psalm, in verse 12, he said, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. And so the psalmist then was like Hezekiah. He had found himself in a corner. He didn't know the way out. Just a few verses from two other psalms. Look at Psalms Sixty-five. You don't have this marked in your Bible. You ought to mark it. You ought to memorize it. Listen to what the psalmist said. O thou that hearest prayer. The psalmist knew about that. If you read the Psalms, you'll know that David believed in prayer. Many of them are prayers. And here he's saying, out of the promise that God has made and out of experience, O thou that hearest prayer. Look at Hezekiah in the temple, on his knees, reading the letter. Don't you know that Hezekiah knew, O thou that hearest prayers? Sure he did. And so, let me remember that verse. But when I find myself like Hezekiah, let me say, O thou that hearest prayers. That all flesh may come before thee. Look down now at the 66th Psalm. At verse 16. Come and hear all ye that fear God. 
and I will declare unto you what he hath done for me. Back in chapter 65, he said, O thou that heareth prayer. Now watch this psalm, and you need to mark these words with Psalms 65 and 2. Come and hear all that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Back in 65, he said he hears prayer. The psalmist has prayed now, and he said, I'm going to tell you what he's done for my soul. Listen. I cried unto, my, unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily, mark this verse, but verily God hath heard me and hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Where would you find any more words that could ever be a greater encouragement We need to learn. Perhaps as I get older, I'm inclined in that way. But we need to learn that as God's people and as the children of God, life is not always easy. It has its problems. There is difficult. But the Bible said, O thou that heareth prayers. And the same man that said that said, Let me tell you about my experience. I cried unto the Lord. How lonely it would be. How tragic. To live. And not know the privilege of prayer. God never intended. As his children. To leave us alone in this world. To struggle without his help. And he's done all that he could to encourage us. Even to having one of his own. Who had gone through trials and difficulties as David had. To ride on an occasion when he was struggling and say, O Lord that heareth prayers, and to have him to write 
I cried unto the Lord, and he heard my voice. I do not think it's accidental that Psalms 65 and 66 go together. Where one says, the God that hears prayers, and the other said, I cried unto him, and he heard me. To me, these are some of the things that I think are often overlooked, unappreciated. And in our forgetting them, we rob our own selves of great blessings and great treasures. And that's the reason that out of years of experience, and study and growing older and realizing some of the things the souls need. I talked about that this morning. I hope it's been helpful to you. I hope it'll encourage you to pray. I hope it'll help you understand more about how to pray. And that you can Say like David, the Lord God heareth prayers. Then out of experience and have cried unto the Lord in the crises of life and said, He heard my voice. And to know the value of it, and the joy, not anything in the world like it. The world's a cheat. And if you've allowed the world to deceive you and make you think that it has something better than that to offer, you are deceived. Are you his child today? If not, wouldn't you like to be? Isn't that worth more than all this world has to offer? Then do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He came from heaven to earth to save you. He cried out in his own. And Hebrews 2 said he cried. And he was heard. Even in the garden of Gethsemane. Turning from your sins in penitence. Confess him as the son of God. And be baptized into him, that you may have that relationship. If, you, if the world deceived you and pulled you back, don't you want to come back today, today and renounce that and start over again? He'll take you back. Hezekiah made a mistake. But when he found himself backed up, he went out of the temple, laid out the letter and read it to the Lord. He said, Lord, I need your help. God heard his prayer. The invitation is yours. While together we stand and sing.